0: Prayer is often referred to as a conversation with God, so much so that when I decided to poke at this, I had to change my notes for this morning. Uh, the obvious question that follows from that concerns, well, the expectation for God to reply as part of that conversation. We get in our heads that we ought to be listening for God's own still, small voice ringing through the silence to give in, well, really an audible reply. And as quaint as comforting as the idea might be, this kind of mysticism has little to do as I see New Testament piety. God has spoken in Scripture and given us his entire revealed will, sufficient for all our needs for doctrine and practice in the Christian life. Now, on the other hand, though, want to get ahead of this, prayer is not flat. Because although, although, and I think that this is very important, although we should not expect God to reply, specifically in the sense of that audible voice, we should expect God to respond. The difference is that while God has already given us the full measure of verbal revelation until Christ returns He does still work for, among, and upon His people. And this morning we considered how God uses prayer as a means of grace to apply Christ and His benefits to us. And although we are the ones praying, God is the one acting upon us to comfort and conform us to Christ through this means of prayer, using it to build us in assurance, holiness, perseverance, peace. As we thought about. And so God does work through prayer. Underlining its meaningfulness. And how God does respond. To us in prayer. Even though we would be wrongheaded To listen for a reply. So this sermon then. Focuses on how we work out. Our practices of prayer. In the multiple contexts of the Christian life. And our main point is that prayer points us to God's dynamic work for, among, and upon his people in each aspect of the Christian life. Prayer points us to God's dynamic work for, among, and upon his people in each aspect of the Christian life. And we're going to think about that in three aspects of the Christian life. Private, public, and participating. First, let's think about the, really the private use of prayer. That's what this is about. So private. And when we read there in, in Matthew 6, the, this great account of, of the Lord's Prayer and how he teaches the disciples how to pray, g- given the exhortation to, to pray behind closed doors, he was promoting the practice of private, personal prayer time. Uh, now, I know that... uh this probably won't shock you, but at least one last time, I want to try to poke at, if not pop, one of our bubbles. Uh, what action comes to mind most when you think of prayer? What posture strikes you as most prayerful? So here's the thing. If you, if you search the scriptures, uh, the mentions therein of closed eyes, and at least the mentions that have any sort of theological import, refer to spiritual blindness, turning a blind eye to wickedness, or physical death. So, closed eyes are not necessarily the commendable thing, at least theologically speaking. On the other hand, the scripture repeatedly speaks of Lifting our eyes in connection to looking to the Lord. Specifically in prayer. We lift our eyes to express our dependence upon God as his servants expecting his provision to come. I want to read just a few passages here. Psalm 121, 1 and 2. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, to whom I'm looking, literally. Psalm 123, 1 and 2, To you I lift my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. Jesus himself prayed, by lifting his eyes toward God in heaven John 11:41 and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said father i thank you that you have heard me John 17:1 when Jesus had spoken these words he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said father the hour has come glorify your son that the son may glorify you note that before he addressed god Jesus lifted his eyes. Now, my point is not to overstate a a criticism of common practice, although I tend to like to get you to think about the things we do. Uh, I know that we tend to close our eyes to avoid distractions. Specifically, it's probably the main reason why we tell our kids to close their eyes in prayer. But I do want to question how many of us make this inherently part of prayer. And we'll get to why I think this is relevant. I I remember one time... um, in the 8th grade, I don't know how that transposes here, uh, younger than now, at least, and I attended a Christian school. And one of the teachers uh, once chastised the whole school after chapel because she saw lots of eyes open during prayer. Now, I I sort of wondered how she knew eyes were open, um, if if her eyes should have been closed, but more seriously, she seemed to think That even Jesus' practices were not really holy enough for true prayer. Now my concern, my concern in this is that we have turned especially private prayer, personal prayer, into something, well I guess overly private. Namely, being about rigorous introspection and looking away from life's concerns. And whether you pray best by closing your eyes or not, which is a principle I leave to you to weigh up, I I don't have an an actual uh, position where I'm, I'm really trying to convince you of it here just to get you to think of My point is that prayer is not supposed to disconnect you from the world. Rather, it is supposed to be fused to the issues happening in the world looking to God to act, to address them. It might be useful to pray regularly, perhaps with your eyes open, but perhaps even more so out loud, even when you're by yourself, to forge a connection between prayer and your physical, creaturely life. Because indeed you are an earthy creature. God made you to be so. And prayer is a meeting place, Perhaps the meeting place between theology and the practical life. As I said this morning, the the primary, perhaps, expression of the Christian life is prayer because it connects our reception of Christ in God applying Him and His benefits to us to, to our experience and processing of daily life. And so, as you pray, make sure... That your true disposition, your soul-level posture is looking to God, expecting to see Him show up to act within your life. This physical posture of lifted eyes or metaphorical posture of lifted eyes can give good expression to our heart's demeanor uh, as prayer becomes a wider remit within our lives, of connecting to the Lord. As Psalm 25, 14-16 says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He makes known to them His covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for He will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Those who have God's friendship in Christ look to Him asking him to be gracious to them in their trials. And in fact now maybe, maybe there's something you're wondering about here about what about when I'm worn out in prayer? And the scripture actually connects this to the same point I'm trying to make. It depicts the posture itself depicts the times when we are beleaguered in prayer. Isaiah 38:14. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. If you hold your eyes open too long, they dry out, they get tired, they hurt. And so too are the times we lift our eyes to God in prayer. The eyes of our hearts at least, so long that they may feel dried out and weary, and yet we can ultimately do nothing except continue to look for God and his appearance. Now, what does this have to do specifically with private prayer? It highlights how prayer as a means of grace is a daily avenue to receive from God. It focuses on the rich experience of prayer because it is primarily God's action for and in us, not our action for God. So in Matthew 5, or sorry, Matthew 6, 5 and 6, when Jesus says to go into your room with closed doors to pray, the point isn't isolation and disconnection from everything else. His point is that prayer provides its own reward in being your meeting place with God who uses prayer to apply Christ and his benefits to you. Pray privately then, as though prayer is truly a means of grace by which you grasp hold of the Lord Jesus. That brings us to our second point. Public. Really, the public use of prayer. So, uh, even with Jesus' exhortation to pray behind closed doors, we realize that that. Um, that that concerned our moral disposition in prayer, rather than forbidding any prayer that happens to be seen, because God's word is clear that we are actually supposed to practice public prayer too. We in this series, even we've already looked at Matthew 18:15 to 20 to to show how it teaches that Christ is specially present when His people are formally gathered in the in his assembled church. That's what he meant by where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. But his teaching there also informs our understanding of prayer as a means of grace. In this context about the church, because he says, take it to the church, and then he launches into this uh, these other considerations, he taught in verse 19, again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, namely of God, which means we're talking about prayer, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. The phrasing that it will be done by the Father in heaven already reflects the way that Jesus spoke a prayer, for example, in John 15, but more explicitly, as he spoke about the church and specifically the church gathered, he said "If two or more Agree about anything they ask, clearly giving us hope in the petitions that we bring before God as a church. Jesus' teaching here puts a fine point on prayer's nature as a means of grace, especially for public prayer in the gathered church. Because Jesus stressed how God emphatically acts in response to prayer when two or more believers agree as they pray during churchly prayer. So to turn even more practical, we need agreement together as we pray in unison as a congregation. Now, that should start to reframe entirely the way you think about participation in the services. Right? You, you do not need to be up front. You don't need to stand here to be genuinely and thoroughly involved in the services and the means of grace. Right? Reformed worship is not a spectator sport. Not supposed to be. It's a group effort. Right? When, even when the pastors or elders lead the corporate prayer, well this tells us you need to be praying actively so in agreement with them so that we are engaging with the type of prayer that Christ promised that God gives special emphasis to responding to it. Now that then raises a broader question about congregational participation in worship as well. So, Notably, we've talked about this uh, before, uh, that we follow this regulative principle of worship. Now the big words there just mean that we do in our worship services only that which God has commanded us to do in scripture, so what that means is as as we take account of, of the value of all this means of grace stuff that we 've piled up over the weeks, everything that happens in our services needs to be made up of means of grace, right we, we, Do you want something? extra in our time of worship that God isn't using to give Christ to you? Right? So from, from the invocation to the benediction, the whole time should consist of word, sacrament, and prayer in its various forms. Now, even when it comes to something like taking up an offering, right? we do not have special music to accompany it but we collect it during a song that we're singing to emphasize that this is part of our worship, tied to the means of grace as they're instituted. In that exact respect, right, to get right to my point, if the whole service must be the means of grace, then what are our songs? We're told to sing, so we should do it. What are they? there are congregational prayers right they are the congregation's joint address to god our songs are not then primarily for moving us to center us to give us some sort of special experience but a time of joint prayer where indeed we're praying the same words in unison. And at the end of the day, that does mean that the difference between singing a song in worship and reciting a written prayer together, well, the difference is nothing more than music. And now, this is really important. Um, reformed churches are associated, sometimes legitimately, but I think it's overstated, with being kind of overly intellectual, uh focusing Primarily on the sermon, now to some degree, to some degree, the focus on the sermon as exposition of god 's word as, as a means of grace is accurate and warranted because of what the scripture tells us. On the other hand, once we take account of what we 've just said, songs as prayer, we'll take a look at your order of service again. Right When you take a look at it now, you see that our worship proportionately is most devoted to prayer. I, for one, think that that is actually a very beautiful thing. And I think it has three implications. First, this means that our prayers are actually very diverse, accomplished in varying ways. So sometimes one of the things that is, is people think that corporate par- prayers focus disproportionately on petition, on asking God to meet our needs. Why, why is that the, the main thing we we pray about? The criticism, however, isn't actually accurate uh, when we account for songs of praise, As you see there on your order of service, songs of confession, songs of thanksgiving and response. We then have led and corporate prayers of praise and adoration. We have led and corporate prayers of repentance. We have two songs that rejoice at what God has done in thanksgiving and response. So there's really just then one led prayer about petition and supplication if we know what our songs are second second so the first is uh, our prayers are already inherently diverse as we sing about different things throughout the service second viewing songs as prayer should h- shape how we think about the quality and content of the songs we sing so seeing that our songs are prayers should cause us to ask the diagnostic question are this songs words fitting To address to God in prayer. This song's lyric the the song's lyrics and tune are not primarily aimed at our emotional experience, but at appropriately speaking to God according to the function of sung prayer in worship. And by that I mean have different functions of praise, confession, thanksgiving, response. So that is why. We actually do indeed name the functions of our songs on our order of service so that we know what disposition to take as we pray it to God. Third, third, songs as prayers should reshape the way that we think of congregational participation. They are Uh, A clear example of the multi-directional contours of Reformed worship. Songs simultaneously address God in prayer. After all, the Psalms are songs which are taken up with addresses to God as prayer. And, And they are also addresses to one another for edification. As Paul said, in Ephesians 5:19, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So this also addresses why the pastor or elders must bring the word and oversee the sacraments, which the congregation participates in by receiving and responding. So there is multi-directional uh, layers there too. But songs are not pastorally led. Songs are not the led prayers, but the corporate prayers. In other words, (laughs) non-led prayers. And so we can have whomever we want present, right? As a really practical aspect of that. Uh at least as a member of the church. um, A member of the church can present. This point about participation pulls us directly into our closing point about participation more widely in the means of grace though so hopefully we we see how thinking of songs as corporate prayers reshapes the way that we think about participating consciously in prayer but in this last point this third point participating i want to close by thinking about how songs Uh, reframe this, but also then tease out how, how that reflection applies to the means of grace holistically, really with a view of closing out this series. These are our final moments thinking about the means of grace in this direct way. And so throughout these sermons, we focused on how God has appointed word, sacrament, and prayer as his means of grace making them his promised ways of meeting his people for spiritual communion. Although although there is a private use for some of the means of grace, namely reading the word and praying, well, God works in a special and emphatic way through these means as used in the assembly of his people. And the reflect here in this sermon highlight are the means of grace become fully active, not not as as a disconnected act of the pastor delivered over to the congregation, but as a corporate set of acts performed by the church. The word must be read to God's gathered people who hear and receive it. Right, the, the sacraments must be applied to God's people. As even the shorter catechism highlights about the Lord's Supper, necessarily and essentially includes giving and receiving of bread and wine. Multidirectional again. And prayer ought to be a whatever form it's taking, ought to be a heartfelt joining up of our adoration confession, thanks, and supplication to bring them before the Lord for communion with Him. And so the means of grace bind us to God in Christ and to one another in worship. When we say that God inhabits the praises of His people, of His gathered people, we do not mean that each individual, but that God's Spirit wells up in His people's joined-up worship through word, sacrament, and prayer. And how our corporate praises mixed together. The means of grace then direct us to consider our participation in church, teaching us that we are never empty spectators. If a fire, uh, if fighting a fire is not uh, a spectator, sorry, if uh, if a fireman uh, is the fire and the fire is not a spectator as it's doused with water, well, then no more are we spectators as God saturates us with his grace. That's not how it works. If we are not passive in being blessed and knighted by the queen, then we are not passive in being sanctified and commissioned by the Lord. Worship according to the means of grace is in fact a very lively activity. And all the more, all the more, the means of grace point us to communion with God. He promises us his presence in simple creaturely things. Assuring us that he will work through even the most expected elements to procure profound spiritual blessings for those who belong to Jesus. But isn't that, isn't that fitting for the Christian gospel? Right? No, no one really expected, no one thought that a humble Jewish carpenter from the the backwoods of Galilee would be the one in whom the fullness of deity dwelled bodily. That wasn't glamorous enough. God then loves to pour his blessings into really surprising but simple and humble places as he comes to us in word, water, bread, wine, and prayer, these creaturely things, well, he can do so because God himself came in that Jewish carpenter, Jesus Christ. He came to secure our communion with him by living and dying for our sake, earning our everlasting life and heavenly blessing. The thing is, God has come as a man. And so God can put his blessings of communion with him in creaturely things. Christ came to die once and for all, and he came to live once and for all for his people. And now, having come once and for all, he comes to us constantly, not for but to be with his people as we meet God in his means of grace. Let's pray. Father God, as we think about prayer and its role in our lives, we do ask that you would help us now to whatever physical posture we take in our souls to be continually looking to the Lord. That the eyes of our heart, at least, would be lifted. That we would always be set upon the horizon, expecting our God to come in response to the cries of his people, because you've promised to do so. Because you've promised to give us communion with Christ in prayer. And so we pray that you would fix our vision... On you. That we might look to nothing else. For our comfort. That we might find wisdom nowhere else. That we might find our shield in no one else. That we might find our riches and wealth. Nowhere else. And know that our victory. Is in the Lord God. Who has defeated even death. In Jesus Christ. And so we pray. That we would value. All the more. These means of grace the things you give us, that we might know you and be close to you. And that each one of them might be effective evermore to turn our eyes to Christ in hope as we meet our God in your means of grace. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.